Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Superstars, you are listening to episode 189 of the Howie Games Part A featuring surfer Owen Wright. There's that amazing rhythm he has with Chopra Tahiti. He'll celebrate another exit into the channel. What an emotional win right there for Owen Wright. Oh my goodness. Owen Wright, your 2019 Tahiti Pro Chopra champion. And he's going to take home an Olympic bronze medal. Yes, the victory lap for Owen Wright. Now, I'd been hoping to get Owen on the pod for a couple of years. We've been working towards it, but I'd never actually met him before. And listening to Owen's story in the studio, which is a really small, intimate type of space, it was full on, full on. There are many highs in Owen's story, fantastic performances, great victories, but there are also some huge, huge lows. The depth of Owen's story, the emotion that came from him as he was telling it, the description of the injury he suffered and the devastation it wreaked on him and his family, it's like few stories this pod has heard before. So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood to your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by More of Owen's story can be found in his brilliant, just-released book titled Owen Wright Against the Water. The book covers so much more of Owen's story than we had time to cover in the podcast. I read it cover to cover, bang, one sitting. That's how good it is. It is about so much more than surfing, as is this podcast. Get your hands on the book Owen Wright Against the Water. The episode comes to you courtesy of the wonderful people at Rip Curl, Owen's longtime partner. Thanks to Michael Scott, James Taylor and Ryan Fletcher, the Rip Curl legends, for making this chat happen, alongside the star that is Jade Gould from Simon & Schuster, the publisher of Owen's book. But most of all, thanks to Owen for having the courage and strength to take himself back to a truly shocking period of his life in parts of this conversation. This is an episode for anyone who wants to confront their fears or come back from the devastation of serious injury. Enjoy, learn, and please, please share the story of Owen Wright, a man who has learned to lean in to fear. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed in King Selassie? Come on, children, try it with me. We want to reach Mount Zion. Well, this is an episode we've been trying to pull together for some time. This man has done a phenomenal job on the World Surf Tour for many a year. He is an Olympic bronze medalist, which I can't wait to talk to him about. He is a father, he is a husband, and he is an author of an absolutely magnificent book, Owen Wright Against the Water. Read this book. I don't care whether you like surfing or not. Read this book because it is something I couldn't put down. He's also been sponsored by Rip Curl since he was 12, which is every kid's dream. Oh, we've been trying to do this for a while. Welcome to the Howie Games, mate. Thanks for having us. Um, I just said to you before, which I say to every guest, if there's anything that I ask or anything you say and you're not sure about it and you say you're telling me that there's certain events in your life and we'll get to them that are not easy for you to speak about. So I appreciate you coming in. How are you feeling about the process? 
for me starting to talk about it and part of that process bring the book out and um, I need always get anxiety about talking about these events, these events. But I, sharing it is also healing for me and I think sharing it, I've just seen so many positive responses out of people around me too. So um, Anxiety because it was such a traumatic event in your life? A hundred percent, yeah. That's, it usually almost brings up that same feeling, that same emotion that I went through when I'm when I was there in the, those places. So um, and I guess that's the way I talk too. So I really kind of take myself there. Um, and how hard was it for uh, – the book is, as I said, I emailed you and I thought I'll just have a quick glance through O's book last week and then I'll spend some more time. And four hours later, mate, you cost me half a day. <laughs> I, I didn't – I couldn't put it down. It, it's oh, it's a brilliant book. What was it like putting it – onto paper, I, I imagine there were some difficult times involved in, in going as deep as you did. Yeah, for sure. Like lots of tears and um, self-reflection and kind of figuring out the way, you know, once I pieced it all together, it was kind of like, oh, wow, like starting to figure out the way I am now and the events that happened, I could start to figure them all out. But it, um, going to those places, it was just like all the emotions were coming up whilst doing it. It was really hard to get it out. Um, but you know, getting it out was also rewarding because I figured a lot of things out about myself as well along the way. Um, and then, you know, you know, getting to this stage now where sharing it is, um, yeah, a, a, a new level of like nervousness, but also excitement because um, it's something I've worked on for a little while now. I don't think you need, I can understand your nerves. I don't think you, you, you need to be nervous. I guess as a general sports fan, they will know you. As a non-surfing fan, people will know you from the Tokyo Olympics. Sports yeah. surfing fans will know you from a lot more. But, uh, yeah, I think anyone that has any interest in the ups and downs of life will enjoy your book, whether they're into surfing. I, I, mm. I wouldn't be nervous. I, mate, I think you've absolutely smashed it out of the park. Oh, great. Yeah, no, the, one of the ideas behind it was to give people a real look behind the scenes of athletes and you know for myself there and what it takes and you know you might see these results but what's behind those and what's going on and um yeah I think it, it really my career was a bit of a roller coaster um to put it lightly so, yeah um they're the stories that resonate though like there, there's very few athletes that have sat in your chair on this show mm. and have come in from the start and dominated and retired as a dominant force it, do, it doesn't really happen in in what you're doing nor nor any of us in life to be fair yeah, I mean, I feel like that—that that is life. Hey, like the the roller coaster part of it. Um, I think for me, like growing up watching my sports stars, like I never really got to see behind the curtains of those guys uh, until I read some books like Agassiz and yes. things like that. Well, and the first chapter of his book. Yeah, you're like, I thought he was the world's most confident athlete, and yeah. he was struggling to get out on court. Yeah, ripping book. Yeah, that, and, and that's kind of what inspired me. Um, is because like you have these ideas of your heroes and they've just like got this perfect life and they've huh. just this, this straight shot to the top and and then, you know, I've come through my career and a lot of the feedback I get everyone I talk to is like high-fiving me and this and that and like, oh, I'd love to do this and, you know, you've had such a good run and and um, it, it, it is good and it is great but it, it's really important for people to know, you know, the ups and downs behind those big results so that they get a realistic um, version of, of how they can achieve as well. I love the message you're already spreading. It, it's funny. You, you mentioned you came in here and I said, what time was your flight? And you said you were at Splendor last night and, and yeah. your young bloke went and he, for the first time. He's six, yeah? Yeah. So, yeah. It, and we'll get to your dad, who's a big yeah. part of the first 30-year book. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because 
my generation, I hate to say it, you're a generation younger than me, yeah. probably not encouraged to talk about our thoughts and our feelings. I, yeah. I've got an 11-year-old son who we try, and I'm sure your approach with your six-year-old will be get stuff off your chest. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's really funny um, to see the level of emotion that he has. And I could, my gen- yeah, like I had a dad who was, yeah, I guess really well driven. So emotions were kind of off to the side. So I've been like kind of the opposite with my son. But you know, that's life. You you know, you have one experience and you try to change a little bit. That's how's how you kind of go through life. Everyone tries to do that a little bit different from the yeah. from their father or learn those bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, like took took my son to Splendor last year. It's my first time to Splendor right. in my whole life ever. And, Ever. So you need to understand the connection. Your wife is a rock star, let's yeah. be honest. Your yeah. wife's name is? Keita Alexander. And she's yeah. a, a musical yeah, genius. She's, she's amazing, yeah. She's she's about to have her album come out next year. So, yeah, she's, it's, she's incredible. But, yeah, we, Keita and I were sitting at the table and we are tossing up whether or not my son can come. What's his name? Varley. Varley. I yeah. like it. And, and, and you know, it was maybe a no, like we, we were tossing back and forth about the setting, it was maybe a no, and he started crying about not being able to come. And I kind of stood there and I had this moment, I was like, man, did you know, Vali, I have never been to <laughs> Splendour in the Glass Music Festival <laughs> and I have never seen some of my favourite bands because all I did was work and try to get to the places I was going that wow. I was going to. And he just like, the look, changed on his face and he fully understood the moment and like he he, he was like oh huh. like jaw dropped a little bit but um yeah just like the difference in like how my son will come up with like these great great experiences and yep. I, we, we took him to the splendor and he loved it man. Did he? like he was high-fiving uh danny from the dune rats and just <laughs> you know he was all about it man so it was so special to see him have that experience you know and, and not have to wait you know until he's 33 to <laughs> i think these these conversations that you're already sharing with me and i, I found um doing this podcast i've, I've learned the importance of, of speaking about things that are troubling you and as i said i've got an 11 year old mm. um until he's probably eight or nine i would say oh mate don't cry don't cry. There's no need to cry. And mm. I've come to realise it's probably not the right thing to say yeah. to your young, especially a young boy, not to cry. I, yeah. I should be telling him it's all right, mate. Get your emotion out. Um, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting one, that one. Um, so let, let's start at the start of your journey. Um, tell me where you grew up. You're from a big family. You're mm-hmm. from a big family that obviously were right near the water a lot of the time. Yep. Yep. So... Got, I've got four, four other brothers and sisters. Yep, and so five of us all together. Yep, and they all surf at a high level. All surfed at a high level and still at a high level. Yep. Um, Tyler. Well, I was watching her at J Bay three yeah, days ago. She's the most well-known one, which is the two world titles. Yep. And, um, yeah. So she's, you know, just absolute trailblazer. Uh, won her first um, CT event at fourteen, like youngest. <laughs> girl ever like if you look at that now and they're 14. talking about like young girls like Caitlin Simmons and things like that getting their first win but that like 17 or 18 whereas Tyler was 14 
It's frightening. And that, so if people listening that don't understand surfing, she's competing against fully-fledged professional women. We're not mm-hmm. talking about the under-16 world titles We're here. talking about Lane Beachley. Yeah, right. In her prime. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In the Lane Beachley Pro. Right. Like, and that was her first win? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she's just like insane. And then you've got my little brother, Mikey. He's, um, well, not so little anymore, but uh, he he kind of trailblazed in qualifying through like wild card positions. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, just crazy good surfing and, um, made the tour that way. And then my older brother, he was keen as surfer and still is great surfer. And then my sister Kirby, she was on the qualifying series, surfed incredibly well as, as well. So all of us mad keen surfers. And where'd you grow up? We grew up in Colborough Beach. Right. Which um, is where, for those that don't know? So about two and a half hours south of Sydney, um, just east of Nara. Um, it's in the Shoalhaven. What's your first memory of surfing? Um, my first memory of surfing have to be like on a foamy. Hmm. Um, this is probably the earliest on a foamy. We were down in Naruma. We had a little um, a little holiday place down in Naruma. Yep. And it was out in the hills, and we would drive down to the ocean, and it was just like this piece of foam that I would just get on and try and surf. And it was pretty cold down there, but. Mate, come on, come on. <laughs> You're in Melbourne now. I live in Bowen Don't be giving yeah, me the cold. It's true, true. Um, and was there, do you, do you have any, if I ask you about those early times, what's your initial thought? Is there fear of the surf? Is there love of the surf? Is it abandon? Is it joy? Is it terror? Is it adrenaline? What is it? What's the first thought that comes to your mind of that when you're first starting to learn to surf? Yeah, for me, it was definitely love. Love. Yeah, like just love joy. Like just, oh, I think it was almost like, if I look at it, it was kind of early on just like our like expression, you know, like it was just that pure joy of like just moving and trying to be good at it, I guess. Like, um, your, your father was a surfer? Father was a surfer, yeah. So he was the main influence? So he was surfing and then we, we had this like really nuts town. We had like a Laurie Byrne who was a shaper but also a um also Australian champion in the Masters. And so then I had my dad who was really keen and then we had um, the Cheetles who were like um, the local surf shop owners and their, their one of their sons surfed incredibly well as well. And so it was kind of like this like really – like great place to, you know, become pro. So, that, so everyone's pushing everyone. Everyone was pushing everyone and feeding off everyone. Um, so I can't remember a time when surfing was like not like the only thing that existed. You know, really? It was just like that's where I'm going. That was the forefront. That was always the plan. The, yep. the, the first thing that grabbed me in your book when you're talking about your father, Rob, that he used mm-hmm. an expression with you, and I've written it down, lean into fear. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. So explain what that meant to you as a kid. How old were you when your dad's telling you to lean into fear? Yeah, so this is like seven years old, right? So <laughs> a year older than my son, Bali. It's reasonably early to lean into fear. <laughs> I know, right? So, but the, the ticket was, right, is like we had the ultimate goal of like trying to get barreled in Indonesia where dad would go for his like boys trips. This you is know. your goal in life. This At that <laughs> age, it. it was like, 
we want to go to Bali, you know. And um, So he'd go on these trips with his mates? Yeah, he'd go on right. these trips with his mates, come back and show you some grainy footage of like some perfect barrel and left or whatever. And, and that just I- invaded it, your mind? Yeah, yeah. And I think just seeing my dad's joy, it like just impacted my, like us as kids. It's like that must be the thing, you know. Mm. Like if you, you know, like dad would come home and he'd just be the happiest he's ever been because he's just like, you know, gleaming with all the stories and this <laughs> and that. And so like for us, we're just idolizing what he's saying right there. And um, it, 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 so leaning into fear came out of that because to get to that place, we had to surf Aussie pipe. And that was like this barreling left over shallow reef with urchins and barnacles and the rest of it, um, not too far from our house. And it was like the, the feared wave. And at seven years old, like there's not, there's not a hell of a lot of surfers that are going to, you know. <laughs> no, no, there's not. <laughs> yeah. For anyone that's been to Aussie Pipe, it's not your typical seven-year-old style of operation. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. So that, and that's, and that's where it was like, hey, well, if you want to get there, you've got to go here. And to do that, you've got to conquer your fear and you've got to lean into that. And it was like, you know, leaning into that was like breaking it down. Like, okay, look at that surfer. Can you, can you go along the wave like he can? Yeah, I, I can do that. Like I. And, and so I was seven years old, I was learning from my dad to watch other surfers and ask yourself the question, can you do that or mm. can you do that? Can you, can you perform like that on that wave? And, and most of the time it was like, well, yeah, I can. But, you know, what was stopping was the fear of being able to do that. And so um, at seven years old, that was kind of breaking that down and, 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 and kept pushing those boundaries. So we were getting barreled at Aussie Pipe like from from then on. And and then you got to go to Indo? And then we got to go to Indo. So what was it like, you know, we're, you're a Rip Curl athlete and Rip Curl have generously provided me with some of your time. So, you know, the old Rip Curl search was these boats and these faraway places and, you know, surfers just surfing and eating great food and having a great time. Like that's what I grew up with, Rip Curl the search. Like what yeah. was your first trip with your dad to Indo? Like, how old were you? Eight. Did he let you run free? Well, we were surfing Ulus and he would be surfing out the back at Ulus and we'll be in on the land like two, an eight-year-old and a uh, he would have been 11. <laughs> and we are just like on land all day whilst he's off surfing for six hours. Wow. Yeah, playing chess. I remember, that was some good times. Yeah, but getting to know all the Indo locals and yeah, the rest of it was really like, you know, that's kind of core surfing at its roots, yeah. like searching and like going to new waves. We went to, we went to like G-Land by the time we were 12 and we went to, on a boat trip, on a, a boat trip to like Lombok and Samboa and all through Mentawis at nine and 10. Did and you really? Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like ultimate like search. And I think like by the time I was, got on, like obviously the search already existed. So I was already just like watching these like, like classic search Well, you get the VHS. Then. Yeah, exactly. Or the, maybe in your day, the DVD. Yeah, that's it. It was a, uh, well, no, it was a VHS. Right. Yeah. You are yeah. on it. And I thought, yeah. good, I'm feeling more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. So you whacked yeah. the VHS in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had, we had like some classics like um, chocolate barrels and liquid trips and all these ones that would lose our minds on. So like, it was just everywhere in your head. Yeah, Surfing was, was everywhere in your head. It was everywhere. Your, your dad... Um, how would you describe your relationship with with your dad and explain 
how regimented and how disciplined he was in approaching life and how that came through to you guys? Yeah, so I guess from the start, he gave us a real good look at a peeled back way, simple way of living. And um, Explain that to me. Like, what, what do you mean? So it was like, as we grew up, it, was, it became regimented because when we were younger, we didn't know any better, which was like, there was no sauces, there was no like... You know, no, no desserts, no, like the, the travel was like bare minimum. So it was, we could have traveled in a, you know, easier way or nice accommodation, but it was like bamboo beds and like, right. you know, we, we were talking at a time where there was more than that around. Yeah. Like it's not that, that long ago, but like he really wanted to have us travel in such a simple way, um, that you know now I look back and go, oh, that was pretty cool. Like right, so yeah. so like like huts and huts. Like I'm talking open air huts. Where where we like whereabouts in, are we? Well, in in Indonesia and you know sleeping on beaches and sleep like we're talking about. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So we really kind of got to explore and travel in a real like, I guess peeled back way. Yep. What, what what was the food component? Like you said like no sauces or desserts. Like was, was yeah, so it was really basic. So like just veggies and rice, and then like you know some noodles and but mostly just like we were vegetarian as well. He was a like full like hardcore vegetarian at the time, so it was all vegetarian food. This is when you're on on surf trips or at home as well. At, at home and on surf trips. Okay, yeah, right, yeah, and you that, didn't have to sleep on bamboo. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> No, but he would he forever he would always share these stories about how he grew up sleeping on um, hessian ba- hessian potato bags, and um, wow. with his grandpa, and um, and I think that's why he just wanted to pass on that experience to his kids, which I, I can't totally get that now. Like, <laughs> and and that 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 disciplined approach, um, mm. positive or negative for you. Uh, look, a I bit think of both. I think a bit of both. Yep. Yeah, like, uh, and, and I think the the positive came later on as I grew up, and the, the negative was whilst I was, you know, eighteen, nineteen, just like, oh, you like, want to explore the world, and you, yeah, like, come on, man, like, why can't we go and stay in this nice hotel or this and that? Well, maybe even like fourteen, I was already questioning that. Yeah, um, but yeah, like, you know, his discipline and 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 I guess driven nature was across many different forms. You know, like we we would be training it. Four four thirty in the morning, and you know, up in the cold, and the cold was every morning. Yeah, most mornings. Yeah. What was yeah. the training at four thirty? So we would be doing like um, we called it a lama. So you'd be standing with your in a low squat with your arms up in the air for twenty minutes. So what are you doing? Show so, me. So you'd be standing with your legs wide, with your arms up in the air like this for twenty minutes. It's a quad burner. Yeah, man. You, I, it's it's a um, it's wow. a mental challenge. Okay. Yeah. So you get hot, you get sweaty, your breath comes out, and so you, you, you'll learn to control your breath. This is when you were a kid, yeah? Yeah, when you were a kid. So right. Yeah, and so, I mean, we were doing things like that. We are doing Tai Chi. We were doing, um, you know, all kinds of different fitness from early in the morning. If it was, if you, if you were pushing your place to all your body and mind was saying was no, then that was the place that you were supposed to go. You know, so hmm. like, and, and, and until you got there and you're like, yeah, I'm here and I'm comfortable. That was like, that was when you're in the books with dad where you're like, yeah, you're, you're, you've pushed yourself to these uncomfortable places and you've mastered your own mind. You're not no longer just like, you know, like 
head down and like uh, dragging yourself along, you're, you're there and you're like, yeah, I'm, and you're mentally ready for it. So. And what do you learn from that, learning to be able to push through and achieve an equilibrium at age 8, 10, 12? Like what do you learn as a kid from that, do you think, that's still with you now? I think that's what got me through some of the harder things later on in life. Yep. Um, you know, I know that's what got me through the things later on in life. Um, at the time, you know, and then coming up to 16, 17, 18, it's like you, you question all that. You're like, why, why do I have to do all this and so-and-so can be down the road and, you know, having beers or having meat pies and, you know, eating whatever they want or, you know, not getting up at 5 o'clock or 4.30 to train and they're still getting good results, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, okay. What, why do you – so you have all those questions later on. So there's like – but like that was my life, and it, and it perfectly prepared me for what was going to happen later on. So it was so I, I'd have to say I learnt I learnt how to be uncomfortable. I learnt how to take myself to places that I you know don't necessarily you know you don't necessarily want to be in, but but going there you get strength out of. Um, so the, the obvious question though from that is, and, and I brought it up several times. You know, I need to be careful bringing this up because sometimes school teachers come back to me and say it's determined from the home, not the school. So I'll, I'll, I'll be a bit general for you. Mm-hmm. But twenty twenty three, everyone gets a medal. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets a ribbon. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as the group does well, everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. How how. How do you view it? Like, how will you go about it? Because in so many ways, it's like, from the outside looking in, mate, you just want your kid to be a kid. But then in so many ways, you want to give your kids these lessons that are going to help them in life. And life Mm -hmm. is extremely competitive. So Mm -hmm. what your dad gave you got you to where you were. Mm -hmm. So where do you sit on it? Like, how involved are you going to be with Varley in this situation? Are you going to push or are you going to sit back? Are you going to do a bit of both from what you've learned? I think a bit of both, yep. you know, like I'm not an expert, but I come from the hard part of life, which yep. is like pretty hard going to work pretty hard. Whereas like, you know, I see it now, it's a little bit easier and, you know, like you say, like everyone's a winner and this and that, but my dad had an amazing way of doing things, which was like, you take yourself to these uncomfortable places and it's not about everyone else. It's about you. And so whether you, whatever the result was, it didn't matter. So it wasn't like we were result driven. It was like your own, it was like your own moral compass and your own inner measurement Mm. that mattered. And so if you were, if you were, I guess at that age, it was like, if you're, if you know what's right within and you're, and you're ticking all those boxes, then, you know, he'd often say the results would come, but if you were like what you felt was slagging, slagging, because your your measurement of slagging might be different to the next bloke. Mm. If you feel like you're slagging, that's your measurement. So if you have to get up at four thirty to to make yourself feel like you're not slagging, that's where you got to go. Um, so it was more like his inner measurement. And so I think now, shoe on the other foot. I'm a dad now. I'm I'm back in that that space. Um, I. Jeez, it's it's such a tricky one because like I I see I see life so different to like everything around us is like screaming weakness, you know. And I don't I don't put that lightly. It is it, it's like soft, cushy. There's distraction. There's no like sitting with your own like mental headspace and dealing with 
things. Are you straight on the phone or the iPad or the... There's distraction, there's this and that, the rest of it. And I, I mean, uh-huh. I don't know if I... I don't know if I'm doing it all right right now with my own kids, but I, I definitely know where I've come from, but I try and have little bits and pieces of that in there. And I always talk to Keita about it and we just go back and forth and try and find some balance and, you know, do, do you push and do you train them? Do you just lead by example? So sometimes I just get up and train every morning and see if it, you know, often they'll, both kids, two-year-old as well, she'll come down and and he'll come down and they'll just kind of do workouts around you. So yeah, it rubs off. It rubs off. It I, absolutely I, I, rubs I don't, off. I don't, you know, I don't know necessarily if there needs to be that, like, the tension that I had in my mind to to achieve great things. Maybe you can just show them great things and they like those things. I think the rub off one is really interesting. My beautiful wife, Owen, Erica, mm-hmm. she's, um, she's from a health and fitness background. Mm-hmm. She knows what to eat. Yeah. She's not, you know, the kids have ice cream and stuff, but she knows the central meals, what to have and what choices to make. And she's mm-hmm. taught me a lot of those. And now I see my kids, 13 and 11, they're out and about. They will make choices influenced by her. She hasn't told them, but it's just rubbed off to make yeah. a good choice. Maybe that's the, the middle bit we're trying to find. Plenty more to come from Owen shortly. Next up on the podcast, a guest requested by many of you. One of the greatest to ever pull on a Wallabies jersey. The Howie Games presents to you next up, George Gregan. Is it everything it's cracked up to be? The years of work, the wins, the losses to, to be the champions of the world? What, what's the yeah. emotion when the, when the game's done? It's relief. Well, that's my experience. It's just relief. Like you're just going, we've done it. Like, I can't believe it. Like, we've actually done it. Like, you've set the goal. The steps don't always go. <laughs> Life's not linear. Sport's not linear. There's some steps which aren't going forward, but you've got to correct those and then move forward. Um, and so when you get there, it's like, wow, we've done it. We've actually done it. And you just look around. There's great relief. There's great joy. The special time is obviously going around. You get awarded the trophy, but you will go around slowly and you, you soak up the lap. You see your family, you see your friends, you see your supporters. But the extra special stuff is when you get in the change room and um, you just, you'll, you'll never forget that. And just great moments together with just not the playing group, but everyone. Everyone contributes to that from the coaches to the management to the liaison, the jurors, whatever. Everyone's part of it. And it's just nice to take some time, soak it up. Like we were drinking, drinking lots of beers, obviously, out of the cup. Someone brought like a 91 um, Grange, which we drank out of <laughs> out of our, our electrolyte cups. Like we weren't too fancy. There was no decantering going on, but it was just good fun. That is George Gregan next up on the podcast. Let's get back to Owen. I mentioned earlier on, um, I laughed in your book because I live in Barwon Hairs, which you would know, down the road yeah. from Bells, and there's a lot of little grommets, and, and their life's desire would be to have a rib curl sponsorship at the age you did, age yes. 12. What, what did that entail? Like, do you, do you get a phone call? Do you get a sticker? Like, every little grom listening to this going, oh, it's 12, it's 12. Yeah, yeah man. It was um, <laughs> it. Was it? Like, was it? Yeah, that was Were you the, just the king? Oh, uh, you know, well, I had... My friend in the town, Luke Cheadle, who's sponsored by Billabong, but like I knew Rip Curl made the best wetsuits, right? So yep. I was like really wanted to be sponsored by Rip Curl. And I don't know what it was. It was just like this thing that I was just 
that was the only company that I was aiming towards. So we made this like videotape and I would make my dad film or my mom or even my brother film me surf and then like put this videotape together, put a song to it, send it off to Rip Curl. What type of song are we putting to it? Oh, it was like pretty rocky at the time. Yeah, yeah, they, they all were at the they, time. Yeah, they were yeah. real heavy. Yeah, real heavy songs. <laughs> yeah, like, right. Yeah. It's all death and destruction with surfing. Uh, Thankfully, we've moved past that. Yeah, that's so exactly. you send it in like to Rip Curl HQ or what are you doing? Yeah, send it to Rip Curl HQ. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> we got some feedback and it was like, hey, like you need to go, you need, like there's the Rusty Grom Fest on yep. in Lennox Head. Enormous surf event for juniors. Huge surf event, like kind of the event that if you do well there, then you, you're going to get a sponsorship. And so I hadn't done well there yet. And they just kind of, you know, again, like there's, well, if you do well there, if you win that, then we'll, we'll look at you. And so that was my feedback. So I just, then I was like, oh, all right, looks like. There's a defined path There's now. a defined path. So yeah. I went there and won that and got, and then I got my batch of stickers. Well, and, so did you get a phone call? Did you get a letter? Like what happened? I was at the comp. Yeah. Gave me a contract at the comp. Really? Yeah. And with stickers, wetsuit, <laughs> rip curl pack, like this is goodie bag, man. It was just like shirts, stickers. And I pretty much stuck every sticker on my window, like either on my dad's car or in my bedroom at home before, within, within a week. So pretty much ran out of those. Um, you would have been king at, at your local Oh, it's going break. to school and I'd take my stickers in and everyone's like yeah, at school and checking out, your, you know, how many stickers you got. And I was like, yeah, I got this search one. I've got the, I've got the root curl main logo and then like you know, all these other stickers. I don't know, back then it was like this thing like you'd have these sticker books yeah, at school. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that was, I mean, I was the, I was the top dog for a bit. You talk in your book. That you went to pipe, which becomes a massive part of your story mm-hmm. as we get to it at age 13. Yep. You see it for the first time as a 13-year-old, this mm-hmm. fabled wave. So for those that aren't right into their surfing, it's where the champion is crowned typically, what has been in the past. It's the it's the event to win. It's the... It's it's the it's the lords of surfing. Um, we've just been watching the cricket, obviously. What do you think of it when you first see it? Yeah. Um, I guess that goes back to the other, you know, how I was brought up is like when I first see Hawaii Pie, there's not, there's not one part of me that hasn't mentally prepared to see that wave. At age 13. At age 13. Like, so there's the benefit of what your dad's done for exactly. you. Exactly. So I wasn't showing up there going, oh, I just want to look at it first. I was in my wetsuit with my board waxed and ran through the house at Rip Curl and straight down onto the beach to go straight out because it was- Straight in. Straight in. There was not a question in my mind that that wave was the exact same as Aussie Pipe. I was already geared up from seven years old to paddle out at Hawaii Pipe because it's the same reference, the same everything. And like, it's just fear that stops you. And I knew by that age, I could- Leading the fear. Yeah. I knew that by that age, I was like, there's, I can surf a wave. I can take off. There's nothing that I can't do that those guys out there can't do. And so I just was straight out there. Like it was the only thing I had to pass was a fear and I'd pass that early on. How'd you go? Great, man. I just was taken off deep and some ways definitely were like, took me to places like whilst I was on the waves, there was like, whoa, whoa, this is huge. Like dropping down the face of this one wave that, that got a pretty like one of my 
like I guess shots. It was like my first big feature in a magazine. It was like this huge wave of pipe. I was tiny and this, I don't know, it was probably 10, 12 feet and I was just coming off the bottom. But I remember coming off the bottom there and just like going, oh my God, this is so much bigger than what like, like I probably like, you know, that fear struck me, but yep. I'm already halfway into the wave, man. I was already on there now. Huh. So, so, um, so tell me, we'll, you, we'll use Pipe as an example. Mm-hmm. When when you're a – okay, let's use Pipe as an example. Mm-hmm. You're in a heat against a couple of others. Mm-hmm. It's large at Pipe. Tell me the process about watching, seeing, selecting, paddling, standing, going. For those of us that will never be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So watching is where a lot of people come unstuck. So I've minimised my watching um, because it looks scary as hell. So you, you, you're not sitting on the beach watching it thinking, no. see, this is my problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's my problem when I go to Bells and it's five foot. I was <laughs> in the car park at Winky and I'm mentally cooked <laughs> as I turn onto the Bells Beach Road. Actually, yeah. I'm mentally cooked when I look at Swellnet in the morning, knowing yeah. how big it's going to be. You see those numbers? Yeah, it's too big, yeah. but I'll go down. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. No, it left me wet suit at home, <laughs> whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah, yeah. So you're not, you're not mentally cooked while I was sitting yeah. on the beach. So one, I'm not looking. <laughs> On at the forecast or at the, uh, you know, and even later on in my career, I was still like, you know, big forecast coming and the same thing was like, don't think about the forecast. Don't even look at the forecast. Just rock up on the day. So that's the part, that's the first stage. And, and I mean, you can get pretty struck down there. Then obviously you kind of come to the water's edge and that's like you're looking out and all of a sudden it's bigger again. Um, but yeah, paddling out. You know, get, getting through the waves at, at, at pipe is is a whole ordeal itself. Like getting out the back. Um, are you duck diving as you go? Or are you trying yeah. to paddle around through a channel? Or? You're using you're using the currents. There's a bit of a beach sweep there that you can kind of duck through. It, but yeah, like you you're going to cop a cop a wave getting out. Yep. Um, and you got to be prepared for that. So that that does happen. How shallow is it? Well, off to the side of pipe is like is kind of sand. Okay. Most of the time, yeah. So it's it's shallow, but um, it's like it's kind of a channel too. Um, so it's not it's not that's not where the wave power focuses. So you okay. can, so the wave pipe works. You can kind of just sit off to the side and like you know see some people take off. Now, when I first started at pipe, I remember I remember like just going straight into the firing line, like where you're going to take off because I'm not out there to watch. I'm not out there to you know, I didn't just go out there to not take off. So I would, I'd go straight, straight to the spot, um, and and get straight into it. But th- there's a process you could probably take, which is like watch, and cut, slowly creep your way yep. into the deeper part of the lineup. So when you are in the deep part of the lineup, a- and you start to see the ocean bubble or boil, like mm-hmm. w- what are you looking for at that early point as to this is a possible wave, this is not a possible wave. So you've got like a number of like bombies out the back where you can see waves break on or peak up on. And that that's the indicator of like, well, do I stay here on the ledge or do I paddle out? Um, and so that's where, that's where when I was younger, I would kind of have to learn to play that cat and mouse of like knowing there's a 15 footer or a 10 footer coming, but like staying far enough in to like, really put yourself in that critical position. So I'm paddling for the horizon at this stage as That's fast as I can. <laughs> and so <laughs> I learned pretty young that 
you can, getting through fear, you can let everyone paddle to the horizon and you can sit there and wait and potentially get a copper wipeout, but also potentially be in the spot for the wave. Okay. And so that was my spot that I found at Pipe was like everyone would just paddle for the horizon and I'd just stay where I was and I'd get these like double ups or, you know, waves that would come right in onto the reef and everyone's kind of seen these waves stack up on the horizon way out and just shoot for the horizon. So I just stayed. And, when, and then when it arrives, that that critical moment when, when you've paddled, mm-hmm. like how fast does everything happen? Well, it's not for you because you're not a mere mortal, you're used to it, but what's the key to getting up and getting going? Yeah, I think the key to get up and going is 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 the intensity of your paddle. Like no matter where wave, what, what whatever wave you're at is the intensity of your paddle you need to get your board and yourself up to ocean speed. So whatever wave, however much speed that wave's got, you need to get yourself up to that speed. And if you, if you're just half-ass paddling, like that thing's going to like pass you. You're going to stuck be stuck at the top and get pitched. So that would be like, that would be probably like a real key to get onto those waves. It's just how intense you paddle. So that that is right there. Another moment where there's a lot of fear, and and fear can stop the intensity of that paddle, or you hesitate for a moment and that's often when you get caught up and wipe out is that that in the hesitation or in the in those moments where the fear kind of grips your body and you're not moving as freely so it's full commitment yeah then you get to your feet a a big pipe barrel Mm -hmm. it's i know it's a very surf specific question so for the others that are listening Mm -hmm. um that don't dream about these things knowing they can't achieve what's it like when you're standing in it yeah, so I guess that is full commitment before that wave gets there. Like usually, say for instance at a wave, if I was in a heat, I'm going that wave before that even gets there. Like there's no question about it. But in the free surf lineup at Pipe, there's so many locals, there's the rest of it to deal with. You're, you know, you're kind of watching. I'm watching other people to see and scan who's paddling for the horizon, who's not, how can I out position. So that that's a bit of a trickier circumstance there at that stage. But if you can finally see that moment and gap in time where someone's not fully committed or someone's committed, but you can tell them just not in that right spot, then it's like, that's the ones that I'd pick off. Um, and I guess when you're dropping down that face, that's the, that's the, that's kind of the thrill right there is cause you've done all this work to like get into this wave. And the drop is usually the part where you're like, you know, heart goes into your throat. You kind of like, here we go. Um, you know, that's that, that moment where you kind of, that, that edge that you bring yourself to. And then once you've made that drop, that's when you kind of feel this like, well, for me, a bit more relaxation. Like, oh, here we go. Like in the in the, in the the barrel and time stands still a bit. And, and is it like as, 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 as majestic and awe-inspiring as people talk about? Or well, is it just bang? I think for some, like for me, I felt like a, a bit of peace in there. You know what I mean? Like there's all this like, like I like I've explained in that like lead up there, there's all these like hurdles that you're getting over, fear and whatnot to get to that point. So once I'm in that barrel and standing there, I, time slows down and I get a bit of like like my shoulders drop. I relax. I've got a few photos out there where it's like my shoulders are just hanging way down. I'm kind of almost look a bit sleepy in there. Like it's just really really enjoyable. But I definitely know there's some times where it's like you're kind of like really crouched and you can see more of a fear position where you're locked and loaded <laughs> and what you know, just really trying to gun for that exit. So just depending on the wave and how deep you are. Yeah. When was the first time I, I've written it down here. Mm-hmm. Um 
October 2009, you perforated your eardrum. Mm-hmm. Is that, because of where we're obviously going to end up in this conversation, mm-hmm. though, is that the first time you've taken a knock to the head surfing or have you had a few to this point? Yeah, so I've definitely had a few to that point. That was the first one that was in competition. I was in the, um, I think it was the, I think it was the search event at um, Portugal the first year we went there. And I got a wild card because I was doing so well on the QS. So QS, a qualifying series qualifying to, series, to yeah. lead into the main, yeah. for those that are not aware, into the main World Surf Tour. And 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 I guess I get that, I, I had that spot, but I earned that spot through like, you know, outperforming other Rip Curl riders of my age and whatnot. And Rip Curl had the search event. And so, you know, they award me with the wild card and whatnot to get into that event and test my skills out. Yep. But yeah, that was the first first one that I had in an event, which, you know, at the time was just, you know, Diagnosed as a blown eardrum, but I was completely knocked out. So, so you, f- you fell? Yeah, I fell off at the takeoff, and I, I, I just remember not remembering anything until I was on the beach. Right. Yeah. That's frightening. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I had, you know, other physical injuries at the time that uh, the head, the concussion didn't get, the concussion got overlooked. But it wasn't so, uh, this is 2009, our views and understanding of concussion in the footy field where I work or, or even in cricket now, mm-hmm. um, in any sport was a lot different in 2009 to the way it is in 2023. Yeah, way different. It's concussion in surfing. It didn't really exist. It was kind of like... It was a wipeout. Take a wipeout and it was a bad wipeout and you just get up and dust yourself off and off you go again. It's probably the same in most sports, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, like it was like, oh, I've got a bad hit up or that was a bad mark and I just kind of... Got knocked out there, but now I'm back up and going again. So, and you, so you don't remember from the incident to them being on the beach. That's right. Did you get to the beach under your own steam? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know how many waves or whatever. Still don't know to this day. Wow. But, um, it wasn't my first. And, and um, you know, it kind of goes back to even surfing Aussie Pipe was my first actual concussion um, when I was seven years old. Um, I come off a wave there it was a big one and I came off a wave and I came went over backwards and I hit my head on the reef and I lost a chunk of my ear and I still have a chunk of my ear missing to this day and um well I got knocked out and my brother like pulled me up the beach and I was like coughing up water and I was like delirious and just completely like dizzy that's at age seven and that was at age seven and so I learned something back then that was just kind of key in my whole makeup, which was like I now had a serious wipeout at a wave. I, was, I had blood pouring out of my ear. And I now had a serious wipeout. My dad was out surfing. He came in and it was like, you know, you've got an opportunity here to conquer your fear. Are you going to let this wave beat you down or are you going to stand back up and go out there? And so seven years old, blood pouring out of my ear. It was like I took a bit of time together and I went back out and surfed that day. Um, and, you know, I, I never I never let that wave strike the fear that it could have stri- striked at yeah. seven years old, right? Like you could seriously stop surfing for a while if you've, you know, in waves of consequence, if you let a wave like that 
you know, because you hear these days that kids get a bad wipeout and they don't surf for a few months. They're still at a pretty young age there. Um, so, yeah, I just, that was one thing I learned back then. And then kind of, that's kind of stood as I got older as well. So prior to pipe, which was still not that part of your journey, how many times do you reckon you would have been knocked out? Random, roughly. Oh, just like, like small ones is kind of so hard to count because I was pushing myself to these limits. Like, so we're talking 10 plus. 10, tw- we're talking plus. 10 plus. We're talking, we're talking like, like eight or nine serious ones where you like, you, you, it's hard to get off the couch for a couple of weeks. So talking some, and it's not that I wouldn't get off the couch, but it's to, you feel like you've completely like got hit by a bus for a few weeks. So there, um, that there's some serious ones in there, and then there was some ones where you're just kind of like, you know, getting dazed and whatnot. You know, those those ones where you're kind of like, well, I've seen stars, or you know, getting a bit delirious, but you, you come good pretty quickly. Hold that thought for a sec. Mm-hmm. You you came onto the world to a 2010 seventh rookie of the year, mm-hmm. um, third for the year in 2011. Mm-hmm. You, you you know. You're a very, very decorated surfer with some amazing results. September 2011 in New York. Most people yep. will be thinking, what are you doing surfing in New York? Mm. So you win your first event, but it was against the king who's been on this show, Kelly. Mm. What What is a final like against Kelly Slater? I mean, it's, it was awesome. It was like everything I'd dreamt of. The richest payday in the history of our sport. And taking that out, Owen I think uh, after today, Owen's going to have to get used to that feeling, uh, competing against Kelly Owen. It's got to be a pretty special feeling, brother. He strikes fear into everyone's mind. You know, on that, when he came on this show, like I said to you at the start, um, mate, only my mum calls me Mark, just call me Howie. He's like, no worries, no worries. Welcome, Kelly Slater. Hey, Mark, nice to see you, Mark. How are you going, Mark? And he had me completely mentally shot. (laughs) Two minutes into the start of the interview. He loves that. So yeah. I can't imagine yeah. what he's like to surf against. Yeah. He, and he looked at me and he laughed as he said it. I thought, yeah, I can see why you've got 11 under your belt. Yeah, yeah. And so he loved that side of things um, <laughs> is to try and get people's minds, which was like, you know, good, good yeah. on him. Yeah. 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 But um, I had a few matchups with him and most of them were all like these mental battles prior Um you know, it was a moment in the locker rooms before the New York final and he was he was like, oh, good luck out there. And I just kind of like really like fired up with a lot of energy back at him. I just went like, yeah. And just kind of like, I don't want to say it loud, but like, yeah, I'm pumped. And just like kind of like flexed, but like it was weird, but I like threw so much energy at him. And I kind of seen his face just like, like set back a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if it had anything to do with it, but like... It's amazing that that goes on before you get in the water, though. But like, I purposely did it. Yeah, right. Because like, he was coming into my space, like, don't talk to me. Like, I know how you work. You don't, you want to like, strike fear. Like, I already knew where he was going with it. So I just like, kind of met him with like, so much over the top energy that he didn't know how to take it. That's what I need to do to start the podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So if you just threw it straight on him. I know next time. On the he, was, he was a great interview. So, He's awesome. So, so you paddle out. Um, well, what's it like out there? Are you just thinking about your own? Like, can you not think about the, the bloke that you're surfing about is the greatest of all time? Do you just put that to the side? Yeah. That's what you got to do. You got to just do your own game. And it's not about the results. It's about you. It's about where you are, where you're at. Um, and that was just the, the little scenario that happened before it. And the rest of it was like, um, I remember going, no, I want to, I want to take the first wave off him. So the first wave that he wants in his mind, that's like my, my space to take, um, and make, but obviously in a wave that I can also get points on. So if it was a crap wave that I'm not going to look at it, but there was a wave come through. It was like pretty well lined up and, um, I yeah you know, I took that wave off him and, and launched a big air on it straight away. So I got straight away into like seven five, which is like pretty good store straight up. So I think I feel like either way you go, that's kind of what where you need to be when you surf against Kelly because he's always going to drop something on you. Mm. you know? And um, I just felt like in that that moment, I I just had that had that little edge over him. And to be a winner for the first time, that was my first CT win. Yeah, it was incredible, man. Like I just. Um, you're in New York as well, too. Yeah, New York of all places. I kind of wrote myself off to even like, like, what am I doing here? I'm six three. Like the waves are going to be tiny. The forecast was terrible. All of a sudden, we had this like cyclone. Oh, they had that crazy spot. storm, didn't they? Yeah, crazy storm, and it turned into a perfect left point. Couldn't have been any better for me. Um, but yeah, like we didn't even surf to begin with. We were just like, oh, let's go to the city, you know, <laughs> do the Empire State Building, go to a baseball game, all the fun stuff. So. Yeah, and then all of a sudden these waves showed up and I was like, oh, you better get into this. Um, and what's it like to win for the first time? Man, it was just like, just, just, yeah, it felt great, man. I just remember just just cheering and, you know, like, I don't know, I kind of just had a little moment out in the water where I, it was a bit quiet before I started, like, expressing, you know? It was yep. kind of like a bit of a moment where it, like, sunk in a bit and I was like, Yes, I finally did it. But I think like one of my second thoughts after yes, I finally did it was like, finally, Tyler's one of the one, <laughs> Tyler's won one of these for years now. <laughs> well, wait, she's fourteen. And, yeah, and, and and what your dad, what your dad, you know, you describe the relationship. Do you, do you do you ring your dad? Is your dad there? Like, do you have it? Does he say well done, oh, or is it doesn't go like that? Yeah, you know, it, it's um, everyone is stoked. They're all there. They're watching at my um, at. They're, they're all watching all together as a family. Um, so they're all, they're all pumped for me. But like, you know, dad always holds his reserve, you know, like he knows it's a marathon. He doesn't think there's one world title. doesn't think there's two. He thinks there's multiple. So it's not like, it, it's, it's like, it's kind of like, oh, it's good to see you doing your thing, you know, if you, you know, so it's, it's like you, you get enough, but you don't get that like, Oh yes, I can relax. My dad's like, okay, stoked, you know. So it's like, it's like he's happy. You know, he's happy, but it's like he doesn't like let on enough to make you kind of put your foot off the accelerator. That is the end of Owen Wright Part A. Plenty more to come in Part B.